Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Voluntary View. It's me, Jeff. I'm here today with two very special guests. We've got Grant Elman and we've got Etienne de la Boutte. Squared. Squared. Always with the squared. All right. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me today. Very nice to see both of you. I agree nice. with you. Now, we've got uh, something in common is that neither of us quite trust the government, to put it mildly. Now, you guys have put together an interesting collaboration project relating to that. And specifically, the word that jumps out is scam. Now, talk to me about that. I'll kick it off and I'll say that I'm the, the uh, Etienne de la Boetti squared is my pen name. I'm a voluntarist author. My book is Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed, where I make the case that government was never intended to protect life, liberty, or property. And it's kind of best thought of as a technique to rob and control populations. And it's always illegitimate. Uh, you can't delegate rights. You don't have yourself to a representative to represent you doing something. You don't have the ability to do yourself. You can't be bound by a social contract you didn't sign. And if Grant and myself can't vote to rob Jeff because there's two of us and one of him, it doesn't matter if there's three of us or 20 of us or 250 million. There's no magical additional person that makes something that's, uh, you know, inherently immoral and illogical, moral and logical, just because the mob wants to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul or lynch black people or whatever the hell the mob wants to do. And so government has been the biggest scam in history. Uh, the subtitle of the book is how intergenerational organized crime runs the government, the media, and academia. And that really is the name of the game is that government has been controlling the population that the the, the information that the population receives through the mandatory government schools and uh, a monopolized media system going back to the quote unquote founding of the country where, uh, where they've been controlling the information that people receive to make them think, to trick them, to scam them into thinking that government is legitimate, desirable, and necessary and they've been doing it by sliding them the belief in government as a religion, pseudo-religion called statism. They don't call it a religion, but they're using kind of all of the, you know, uh, uh, you know, illegitimate, um, tricky techniques of, a, of an unethical religion or a cult uh, to get you to go along with believing that government is legitimate, desirable, and necessary. And so they're going to put you into the church school where the teacher, the priest is going to teach you the common prayer of the Pledge of Allegiance and have you sing the hymns of the national anthem. And we're going to take you to, you know, Mecca, Washington, D.C. and kind of middle school. And we're going to take you into the cathedral of the Capitol that looks like the Vatican for a reason. And it's going to be all oversized. So you feel small and insignificant. And the judges are going to sit on high and they're going to wear vestments and the, uh, you know, the kids are going to be taken to the temples uh, and shown the deities of Lincoln and Jefferson. And it's going to be very- I thought of Lincoln too on his yeah, throne. It's going to be very, on his throne over two fasci. So I don't know if you know, but his, he, his hands sit over two fasci, which is the root word for fascism. And it's the, if anybody, if you've seen it, it's an ax circled with a bundle of twigs bound together by a leather cord. And that is, set, you know, the, the idea of fascism is you, you have to bind the people together around the government and it makes it stronger. Uh, it makes it stronger so they can rob you and take your money and boss you around. But it makes it the is, government uh, stronger. <laughs> yeah, but it has been the biggest scam in history and they've gotten away with it through this monopoly media system. And so in the book, the book's designed to wake up your friends, your family, your coworkers, your colleagues. Uh, most people are visual learners. And so I have a bunch of visualizations that make what was invisible visible, whether that's the monopolization of the media or the fact that there's, you know, that uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of ostensibly independent media organizations are all tied together through Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, a member, you know, three organizations that Jeffrey Epstein was a member of. So in addition to controlling the information, you know, people receive to control society, they're also blackmailing and, and you know, uh, uh, it's called a brownstone operation in D.C., 
but that has been the biggest uh, scam in history. And so my book inspired my friend here, Grant Elman, who is a uh, talented, talented multi-instrumentalist musician, uh, musical prodigy, and uh, he wrote a song called Scam. And we're in the fifth edition. We're, we're in the process of writing the fifth edition of the book. We're doing an Indiegogo at uh, www.artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo. And when we announced the Indiegogo for the fifth edition, mm-hmm. Grant had written a song called Scam. And that song has gone viral, even though it's being censored on Spotify and by Twitter and, and probably other you know, social media platforms that we don't already know about. Uh, but that's why we're here together. And so let me introduce my friend, Grant Elman. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff, for having us. We appreciate you having us here together. And Absolutely. yeah, so that's, that's pretty much the gist of it. Etienne hit the nail on the head there. And I, I put this, I've been making conscious music for the last few years now. I've been a musician my entire life. And then as I stepped into becoming a voluntarist, I realized that I needed to join into the the one great work, as Mark Passio uh, calls it, and to put my musical efforts to use in order to help wake people up to what's going on and to help raise consciousness of of the people of Earth so that they can de-enslave themselves from ultimately these belief systems, which, you know, ultimately the belief system in authority is the the ultimate underlying belief system or religion that is responsible for why we're experiencing all of these issues, all of these surface level issues and dramas on the face of the earth right now. So, so yeah, my goal is to just help to, to spread freedom, truth, and love through music and art and and i'm honored to be here with you today so thanks for having us on it's a pleasure it's a pleasure now etienne one one thing that i find is that when you take a a regular person who's never thought about any of this stuff before and you tell them all the things that you mentioned right at the beginning they just they they can't even comprehend it and they just kind of shut down because most people what i find when they hear the word government they don't think of the guys up in Washington and all of the rows and rows of what's a good word <laughs> or just of bureaucrats behind them and all of the departments and bureaus and organizations. They think of, they think of the roads. They think of the local police who they think keep them safe. They think of the school teacher down the road, who's their friend. Mm-hmm. So how do you start to break that barrier between what the normal person sees or thinks they see of the government and what is actually happening. So the way that I've done it is I scientifically designed a book to bring people to that moment of insight. And so most people are visual learners, about 65% of the population are visual learners. They learn best when they see information uh, presented uh, graphically, visually, visualizations, things of that nature. And so what I do in the book is I use a number of different techniques to uh, to drive home uh, the fact that government is illegitimate, that it's using the same playbook as the Nazis, the Soviets, the East Germans. Um, And I and because you can see it with your own eyes, people come to insight much quicker. And so uh, when you pick up the book, it's chock full of historical photos visualizations, infographics, memes, and each one of them is really designed to, you know, to, you know, to, um, to, to bring somebody into, you know, that moment of insight around, you know, a particular topic, whether that topic is the, uh, the illegitimacy of government or the constitution, uh, you know, as an example, I got, you know, there's a, uh, a picture of George Washington and at the signing of the constitution and he's, you know, pointing at the document, he's saying sign right there where it says we get to make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others. And that meme, you know, sign right there where it says we get to, you know, make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others really exposes the scam of a couple of dozen slave owners, politicians, and lawyers going into a room on a continent of 3 million people and writing down on a fancy piece of paper that they alone get to make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others. You know, Lysander Spooner had to write an entire book 
you know, called, uh, you know, uh, the Constitution no Authority. Yeah, yep. that one's really good. And uh, that, you know, that meme accomplishes in about one second what Lysander Spooner probably spent, you know, a uh, couple months, you know, you know, writing out of man work. And so like, you know, that that is the power of a meme. And then some of the other techniques that I use is the first part of the book is 20 plus techniques. And I show what that technique looked like in the United States, in the Soviet Union, in East Germany, and uh, in um, Nazi Germany. And so when you see it laid out next to each other and you realize, hey, wait a minute, this is a playbook. The, U, the, the U.S. government is using the exact same techniques as the Nazis and the Soviets and the East Germans. You know, they boom, they saw it with their own eyes. They come to that insight and it, and it comes very, very rapidly. Um, the average person, if you like the, if you see an image, you can generally, you know, make sense of uh, of, you know, like, let's say it's a, a sign of, you know, crossing, you know, two children, a, a mom and a, you know, daughter crossing the road, you know, the, 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 you know, crosswalk sign. Well, it takes the brain about a quarter of a second to process and attach meaning to that image versus if I said, uh, you know, if I had a written sign that said, please slow down while you, you know, there are children crossing the street in this area, that may take five seconds you know or 10 seconds for the brain to process that versus the images like that and so what i do in the book is just boom 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 all of these images that are designed to bring people into insight and so i wake people up all the time i get you know i can i can take somebody kind of from zero to 60 in the shortest amount of time and then i keep honing that in each successive you know addition uh, and, and that, you know, I'm just, it's like a knife that I'm making sharper and sharper and sharper to just dig it right into the, uh, to the parasite of statism. Hmm. Now, it sounds like this book is primarily designed for people who are not already voluntarists or libertarians or on the liberty spectrum, more for the average folk. Is that a fair assumption or not? Yeah, well, so like most, most people, I mean, you, I, I probably guarantee you, whether you're a voluntarist or you're a libertarian, you're probably going to learn something new in the book. Um, but really, the book is designed for, you know, for you to, you know, to give to a friend or a colleague or whatever that you've been, you know, maybe trying to, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, discuss these concepts with, but they just haven't gotten it. You know, they haven't, they're, they, they haven't been able to, you know, to grasp it. And so, number one, they're not going to read a regular book. Like the amount of people that if you give, you know, a copy of Rosewalder Lane or you give, um, uh, you know, uh, Murray Rothbard's For a New Liberty or something like that, maybe 10 to 15 percent of people are going to actually read that book if they're readers, if they have time, if the da 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 da. Mm -hmm. But if you give them a picture book full of fascinating and interesting visualizations and memes and whatever, it's like, you're just hooked. I mean, like I've just seen it happen. I've had, you know, we do, I do a lot of conferences. I do a lot of events where I'll be exhibiting and somebody will come by and they'll pick up a, co the, a copy of the book and they'll literally sit down, right? Like literally sit down on crossed legs right next to my table. It happens all the time. And they'll just, just go through the book. They're just absolutely hooked. And so, and, and that's really the, you know, the, the power of what, what I'm trying to do is bring somebody to that moment of insight. Another technique that we use is visualization because visualization makes what was invisible now visible. And so the example that I give a lot, and I gotta, I gotta come up with a new example because I do it in all my interviews. But you know, if you try and explain to your friends and your family that there are six companies running hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the idea that there's all these different information sources in society, et cetera, they may or may not believe you, but you show them a media ownership chart where you can see that, you know, Fox News or News Corp doesn't just own Fox News. They own magazines and internet properties and uh, satellite networks and television programming, television distribution and movie programming, movie distribution. And then there's, here's ABC and they are, there's a, 
uh, Disney and they own ABC and they own theme parks and, and whatever, all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, there's six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society. And so they, you're like, boom, they just, holy crap, I did not know that was going on because it was invisible. It was invisible to the population until you have a visualization that connects all the dots and shows the ownership. And then you're like, holy crap, I did, you know, I did not, you know, people were like, I, I just, I did not know this was going on. And so that, because they saw it with their own eyes and you've made what was invisible now visible, boom, they come to that moment of insight. Nice. nice. Now how, so the visual obviously is really good because people seeing things that they didn't see before and mm -hmm. it clicks. How does, Grant, how does the music start to fit into that? How does that affect people? Oh, your mic's off. I'm grateful that I stumbled across music in my lifetime because I think music is also, you know, in addition to, to visualizations, I think music is a really powerful way of opening people up. It's kind of a heart opening experience and it, it makes people want to dance along. It makes people want to sing and stuff like that. And Howard says, I'm sorry, Tenny says, uh, you can't censor a song if it's getting stuck in someone's head. You know, and, and I think that's kind of the goal of what I'm doing right now is to make catchy material that gets stuck in people's heads and makes people want to dance and makes people feel good. I'm a reggae artist, so reggae music is naturally has that feel good energy to it. And I think that that allows for people to sometimes be a little bit more opened up to the truth because I speak a lot of hard truths in my song Scam, but if I were to just walk up to any random person on the street and start, you know, saying those lyrics to them, people would just, you know, laugh in my face or they would, they would shut me off instantly. Most people would. However, if I went into the street with my guitar and I played the song, I think there would be, you know, a crowd gathering and I'd be getting tips and stuff like that as often happens when I, when I go out and play street music. So yeah, it's just kind of a whole different energy that comes across when there's that playfulness and there's that heart opening experience, that that energy that makes you want to dance. And I think that allows for people to be more receptive to the truth. And so that's kind of my intention behind all the music that I create and especially with the song Scam that I just released. And I'll just tell you this. So, so Grant and I both dropped videos on the same day. I dropped an Indiegogo video. He dropped the Scam video. My Indiegogo video has like almost 300 views. His scam video has 35,000 views and that's with it being censored. And so God, imagine what it would be if it wasn't being censored on Spotify and on Twitter and on these different platforms. And so that really is the magic is that, is that, you know, it really, you know, Grant is able to captivate people in a way that, you know, that I'm, I'm woefully unequipped un to do. Well, you captivate people in a different way with, with the visualizations and getting people hooked on that book. Uh, I'll tell a funny story about how, about Itini's book. <laughs> I, uh, I manage Airbnbs as my side income. So I have like a passive income stream that allows me to focus on my music full time without having to work a slave job. And at my first Airbnb listing that I put together, I actually put the the book government the biggest scam in history right in the middle of it on the coffee table and I remember having a conversation with one of my guests I think they were a cop or maybe an ex-cop or something like that and they were like that started talking to me about government and all this stuff and they didn't say anything necessarily about the book but they knew based on obviously having looked at it that that there was some interesting views there and I think that it might have actually provided a little bit of impetus for them to to change or at least it might have put the bug in the back of their in the back of their indoctrinated minds and so you know I think this this book is a great opportunity to just get put around town put it in coffee shops put it in you know yoga studios wherever because obviously it won't be accepted in normal bookstores so maybe Howard you can talk about the the retail kit that you're doing and how you're planning on on spreading the book in that way and making it accessible to people. So yeah. Grant is not the only person that's doing this with this book. And so we get uh, emails and we get pictures and people send us, 
you know, stories about them donating the book to the to libraries, to them, uh, you know, putting the book out uh, in Airbnbs, taking the book and uh, um, uh, putting them in the little mini libraries and kind of neighborhoods uh, and giving them to their friends. And we have an amazing amount of people that are buying, we call it a friends bundle. And we, we have a donor to the Art of Liberty Foundation. So the so my, the umbrella organization is the Art of Liberty Foundation, and we're a startup public policy organization that is trying to expose the illegitimacy and criminality of government. And so the book is a project of the Art of Liberty Foundation, and, and we have donors that have donated money uh, that allow us to, to you know, make uh, bulk copies that we call friends bundles available you know, at a discount. And so uh, we've had over a thousand copies. We've like so the so the book really took off this year. I think two years ago I sold two hundred copies. Last year I sold eight hundred copies. This year I've already sold thirty five hundred copies. And out of those thirty five hundred copies, over a thousand of those copies were bought either as friends bundles or people buying the book and sending it to somebody else. So we're able to like track, you know, when it's a different address you know, and so we can figure out which ones are gifts. And so over a thousand of these, and so people are, you know, using this as a very effective tool to wake up their friends and their family. And that's really what, what kind of makes this thing so unique. Uh, what Grant mentioned is, uh, so in the Indiegogo that we're doing right now, the other thing uh, is we're prototyping uh, what we call a gorilla retail kit. And the gorilla retail kit is so that anybody that has a you know retail location whether it's a coffee shop or a yoga studio or whatever it is uh it allows you to kind of attractively merchandise the book in a very small footprint within your store uh and share in the proceeds or share in the profits of the book by waking up your community so you can actually make money waking up your your uh your friends and your your community to uh to what's going on and so, uh, so that's already, people are already pre-ordering that through the Indiegogo and we'll have that, you know, out by the end of uh, January. It's really nice. So now that, that jump, that's huge. 800 to 30,000. That's, uh, that's 3,500, 3,500. 3, okay. But that's it's still, still, that's, still, it's more than that's, double. That's 20 different countries. And I'm getting censored the same way Grant is being. So like, like, like I'm getting, you know, on YouTube, we have, I've got view counts that go backwards. I have view counts that haven't moved in years. I have, um, I get emails from YouTube saying that, uh, that, um, uh, you know, a comment has been posted on videos and then there's no comment. Uh, I post comments on videos and you, it doesn't show up. It says there's like four comments, but only two will be visible. Um, uh, I've been censored off of Facebook in May of 2018 and the wave of censorship, kind of the beta wave of censorship of Alex Jones and everything like that. I could go on and on and on, but I probably would have sold 35,000 if I hadn't been, if I'm, if I wasn't facing the level of censorship that we're facing today. And it really is getting worse. Um, just today, a friend of mine, uh, Josh Sigurdsson, who runs World Alternative Media, who is a volunteerist journalist, put out a screenshot of uh, a Google search for his name. And Google has just wiped him off of Google. Google has like literally made him a non-person. But he, like, it, so so this is the, I haven't tried that with Etienne de la Boetti Squared yet, but like, you know, that is the level of censorship that we're going on. The other thing I forgot to mention is, so the book is backed up by a credit card size flash drive that we call the Liberator to show the audience there. Uh, so go into your wallet. And one of the articles that we have on here is an article called How the CIA Made Google. And it gets into the very specific DARPA programs that Google came out of the Highland Forum. And so, you know, what, what the, what are, you know, when I say that, you know, how intergenerational organized crime controls the government, the media and academia on the media side you know we talked about the six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources well on the new media side there's about two to three dozen what i like to call darpa front companies and darpa is the defense advanced research project agency that invented the internet that funded and invented the 
you know, IP switching and, and routing and, and created the internet. Uh, they had the internet way before we had the internet. And they, by the time they released it to the population, what I believe and, and what I make the case in the book and what I make the case with all of the evidence in the Liberator is that these companies, these two to three dozen companies, Google, YouTube, uh, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Discuss, the comment engine, Snopes, Wikipedia, uh, uh, Meetup, um, uh, Quora, uh, you know, others, Amazon, Netflix. There's about two to three dozen that have been overfunded with bankster money to consolidate their own uh, industries, their little niche in the information food chain. They've been given patent protection. They've been given a head start in just IP technology, you know, to, to begin with. And, and they've, you know, they, these companies, it's not hypothetical that they're censoring alternative views and alternative voices on the internet. It's a fact. Every single company that I just named has been caught censoring information, lying, shadow banning, uh, doing all of these different things. And so that's the name of the game. There's two Americas. There's one America that understands that every single screen is being controlled by the government and you can't trust anything the government or the media tells you about anything. And then half of the country hook on and shrinker, you know, just they just like they don't get it that the that you know that we're being deceived Soviet style. Exact same play again. It's the exact same playbook that the Soviets and the Nazis and everybody else uses. We're controlling the information that society receives to be able to program human beings like, a, you know, like a computer. Human, the brain is a supercomputer. And so if you're able to control the information that people receive, you're able to, you know, produce a certain kind of outcome, you know, unless, unless, unless you understand how the magician does the trick. And so what I do in the book is I expose how the magician does the trick so you can't get fooled by the magician. Right. And you see behind the curtain, you realize that it's not a, a great and powerful Oz. Yeah. It's just some guy pulling some levers. Hmm. So I have related to that uh, the thing you were talking about with the censoring. So I've known a lot of uh, people on the liberty side of things who say, well, but they're, they're private companies. So it's okay if they censor people because that's their right to do that. How would you respond to that? So, um, so what I believe happened is that it's intergenerational organized crime. They lobbied and bribed Congress in 1913 to create the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve backs, is a creature of the money center banks, the city groups, the Wells Fargo's, the Bank of America's, Chase Manhattan, et cetera, that, you know, the, those crew. And the Federal Reserve backstops the banks to engage in something called fractional reserve banking. And the basics of that scam are when you go to a bank to get money, uh, they're not loaning you depositor money. They just tickle the ivories and credit your account with digital dollars, even though that is inflationary and even though that is stealing the value out of the money that is earned and saved by everybody else. And so uh, what has happened is, is that these banks have the ability to create money out of thin air. So they're able in a dishonest way of stealing the value out of everybody else's money. They're able to provide certain companies with unlimited capital to consolidate their own industry in a kind of predatory way. So this isn't a free market system at all, at all, at all. This is crony, could be called crony capitalism. Um, and so you've got certain people that are cheating. And so the analogy I always use is, you imagine you're playing Monopoly and the banker is cheating well, at the, and stealing $500 bills you know, out of the bank um, uh, you know, uh, when everybody, nobody's looking. At the end of the game, who owns everything on the board and who are renters and debtors? And so that is how they've been able to buy up the media. That is how they've been able to buy up these cartel companies, provide them with unlimited capital, 
ensuring that they have the dominant platform. And then once they've got the dominant platform for social media or for whatever it is, then they're able to censor it. And so this is not a free market. These are not free market companies. These are liars and cheaters and thieves and scum and the worst. It's an it's a oligarchical kleptocracy. It's a cacistocracy. It's a cacistocracy ruled ruled by the shit people, the worst people in society. And they're on top because they're willing to do the things that other people aren't. They're willing to use political assassination. They're willing to, you know, rig elections. They're willing to, you know, force people to vote on black box, unauditable black box voting machines. And so this is, this is, this is not a free market. This is not real democracy. It's, it's not even fake. Dem- I mean, this is a fake democracy. It's, it's just, it's just, we're being robbed and scammed. And I'm trying to expose how the game is played in a very, very effective way. Now, that's that's laudable, uh, something that I think is great. One thing I've found, though, is that people don't usually question the government. But when someone questions the government, they question that. Mm-hmm. So in your book, it's it's not as necessary, I think, for music because people, I don't know, people it's easier for people to not take music seriously, I guess. You can say, oh, it's, it's just music, you know, even though it can affect people on a very deep level. But when you actually have something printed, people say, well, how, how do I know this is true? Does your book have a lot of sources and citations? I got 16 gig. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's, it's all on the Liberator then? Yeah. So, 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 so the book is backed up, like I said, by the, this right now I've got either an eight or a 16 gig Liberator. I'm about to crank it up to 32 gig and put even more evidence, especially around the COVID uh, as well as uh, almost two gig of, uh, of um, prepping and survivalist, uh, you know, uh, nice. uh, material. Um, and uh, uh, more information on voluntarism. And so that's the other, the the good news message of the book is that uh, the world is a self-organizing system. It produces spontaneous order and everything the government does, whether it's roads or air traffic control or dispute resolution that they call the courts or armed protective services, all of that, everything that's non-redistributed, you cannot rob Peter to pay Paul but all of the services that, that, that society counts on, okay, uh, you, know, you know, all of that could be done by the free market, by mutual aid societies, by uh, nonprofits, by real charity, and they would do it faster, better, cheaper. And so if we could just cut out this, you know, dishonest middleman in D.C. that's robbing everybody and fighting wars based on lies and manufactured intelligence and handing trillions of dollars to private banks and private companies through bailouts and stimulus and, you know, forcing people to, you know, lock down their businesses, we would be crazy rich. The other thing is, I you know, break down in the book how, you know, you know, how pernicious fractional reserve banking is. And the one thing that people need to understand is if, if we did not have this crooked, dishonest monetary system, then your dollar would buy more and more every single year as innovations and productivity improvements reduce the cost of, uh, de- of uh, producing and distributing the necessities and luxuries of life. I was just looking at Freedom's Phoenix today, which is one of my favorite alternative news sites. And there was a story on there about um, uh, a shipping vessel, ocean-going shipping vessel that has been the first one to deploy this giant parasail. And this giant parasail, literally just, you know, just it's like, it's like you can take now, you can take, you know, a cargo ship or an oil tanker, whatever it is. And you can deploy a, just a giant parasail on the front of the boat that reduces the fuel consumption by 20%, okay? Wow. And so this is an example of these, you know, in, you know, improvement, these constant and never-ending improvements, you know, based on human ingenuity uh, that, that reduce the costs of either producing or distributing the necessities and luxuries of life. And so absent the crooked monetary system, your dollars should be buying more and more every single year. But not only are you being robbed 
of it, the increasing purchasing power brought on by ingenuity and creativity and productivity improvements and everything like that. But you're getting zapped for double digit inflation right now. So you're, you're, you're not only you're, it's a huge Delta. And so just, if we just didn't have a, a crooked monetary system, if we just, if we, if the money, if we just had, you know, honest money, uh, that was non-inflationary, everybody would, 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 we would all be crazy, crazy wealthy if they weren't stealing the value out of everybody's money. Mm-hmm. Not only stealing the value, but stealing the money itself through taxes. It's a, right. at least a double-pronged attack. There's probably more. I, but I inflation change. is more pernicious. Like for, mm-hmm. inflation well, it's is hidden. more pernicious. It's hidden. People can see taxes and they can grumble about them. But they don't recognize that inflation is happening until it's too late. You know what? They see their 1040, but you know what what most people don't realize is how much is being stolen in covert taxes. And so, you know, the, the 1040 is obvious. Most people have no idea what their total tax burden is until you really, really add it up. Every time you get a gallon of gas, every time you get a, a beer, every time you pay your cable television bill, every time you pay your cell phone bill, every time you get a hotel room, every time you get a rental car, every time you get a plane ticket. I, I went to London a couple of years ago, uh, $1,200 ticket. The ticket was 400 It was $800 in taxes and airport fees. And so like most people have no idea how much they're being robbed by government with all of these hidden little, you know, taxes It's worse in Europe where, where they have the VAT, where it's, where it's, you know, you know, applied, uh, you know, throughout the you know, manufacturing process uh, and really hidden, but we're all getting robbed crazy by government and it's all going right out the door to these cartel companies for weapon systems that we don't need and $400,000 helmets for the F-35 and $14,000 toilet seats and the Pentagon's Bishop Fund and the Fat Leonard scandal. And it's just, and, and so I call it organized crime theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's an organized crime theory and I can prove it. And it's, it's, uh, it's, um, we're being robbed. And when you look at it through the, the lens of government as being organized crime and that the system is illegitimate and it's being run by criminals and they're personally enriching themselves, it makes everything make sense. It makes, you know, oh, that's why the Pentagon can't account for trillions of dollars. That's why the Pentagon says they lost $6 billion in physical cash in Iraq and Afghanistan and on and on and on and on. And so it is the key that unlocks all the locks. It makes sense of our situation. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's organized crime, intergenerational organized crime. Mm, heavy stuff. I want to, I want to change topics for a moment mm-hmm. and ask Grant a question. So as an artist, and this is, this is another thing that I've seen often debated in libertarian liberty circles is copyright law. So as an artist, I wanted to ask you, what is your opinion of copyright law? Because it's something that the government, um, it used, the argument against it, I've heard, is that, well, they're using the power of the government to s- stop people from doing something that they otherwise would freely do. Yeah, I don't believe in intellectual property, period. And I'll tell you why. First of all, anything that I create as an artist, I don't really necessarily believe that I created it in the first place. I believe that I just channeled it and that it came from a higher source. And so, and then the other reason is I just think that there's so much bureaucracy and so much other forms of robbing and rackets around the copyright law system to begin with. And I really believe that the that we should be focused more upon open sourcing everything and contributing our ideas to the good of humanity, contributing music, contributing art, contributing positive efforts to the good of all humanity. And I think that when someone does that in a notable, recognizable way, that that person will be compensated more than fairly, especially if we lived in a system where we weren't being, you know, taxed and robbed as Etienne just outlined so beautifully. And so, yeah, that's my answer on that. I don't believe in copyright law. I don't believe in, in, in patent law, really. I think that 
that we should follow an open source model and our society would be much better off if we rather than hoarding an invention or hoarding an idea like, oh, this is my idea and I want to try to capitalize on every little thing. Why don't we just focus on getting that idea out for the greater good of humanity and take an altruistic approach to it? And then, you know, the the compensation is going to come in a, in myriad ways. For example, I'll tell you just an example of this. So, you know, music you can no longer really make money off of streaming music. You used to be able to sell physical hard copies of CDs and then make money off of that hard copy. That's not really, that's not really possible anymore with what these streaming services are doing, but you know, now you can, you can make money in a variety of other different ways by playing shows and people have been donating me a huge amount of money for my song scam just by me putting my crypto links in the description of the video. So if you like the video, go and check out the crypto links and maybe shoot me a donation. But yeah, my belief on it is that, is that um, we should really just focus upon, upon contributing our ideas for the good of humanity and making everything open source and that people will be fairly compensated. I'm also really excited about the prospect of NFTs and smart contracts for the, the fair compensation of someone for their efforts. But I don't really think that that necessarily falls under copyright law or intellectual property as much as it does, um, you know, making way for people to be compensated for a piece of work that's a really good piece of work. So that's my answer on that. Very good. Yeah, if anything, I think the... NFT smart contract would go more along the, this is a voluntary interaction and this is just the condition on which you purchase or use this material instead of the government punishing someone if they do it anyway. Exactly, exactly. And the, the thing that I've, I've heard is that- And while, I gotta point out that you know oh, artists, artists that are supporting copyright they're essentially saying, hey, government, I want you to hold a gun on these people and I want you to enforce this with a gun. And the karma that comes from that is, uh, is you know, you don't want that. You don't want that karma. And I was actually because I we were Grant and I were doing another interview and he had a really beautiful and eloquent, you know, um, description of what the great work is and the importance of natural law. And so uh, I, I thought we, I thought, you know, I, I wanted to see if he wanted to throw it out there again for those that weren't familiar with natural law. Uh, Grant, you want to break it down for him? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So Howard and I are both are both students of Mark Passio's work. Uh, some of your audience, or you might be familiar, Jeff, with Mark Passio's work, and he essentially breaks down natural law as the science of morality. In other words what are the eternal binding and immutable conditions and and consequences for human actions in the world and so yeah kind of going back to what howard was so sorry my real name is howard so we might just call me howard about about copyright law no i don't i don't believe that it's morally there's there's no situation where, where government can be morally correct. And I'll tell you why that is, because every single thing that government does is essentially nothing more than a command backed by the threat of force. So it's a command of you must do this. Whether or not that you must do this is right or wrong is irrelevant because enforcing that command is backed by where they're going to harm you or cage you or fine you or extort you or something along those lines which is always immoral. So it doesn't matter if the action that government is requiring you to take is morally right or wrong, then it doesn't matter because they're, they're essentially holding a gun to your head and, and telling you that if you don't follow that command, then you are going to be fined or caged and, and that is harm. So the, the essence of natural law is a right is an action that does not cause harm to another sentient being. So I can do anything that I want in this little video game that we call Earth. I kind of like to call it a video game because I think that that sort of makes it a little bit more lighthearted. But I can do whatever I want so long as I don't cause harm to another sentient being. And ultimately, the great work is about teaching people what rights are. 
what is correct and right versus what is incorrect and therefore wrong. And so that we can operate in congruency with right action. And again, right action is simply an action that does not cause harm to another sentient being. And then Mark Passio also takes that one step further into this law of freedom, where he says, as morality increases collectively in society, in other words, as society becomes more moral and takes more actions that are in balance with natural law or do not cause harm, that society becomes more free. And the converse is also true as a society does more and more harmful actions in the aggregate as people are committing actions that cause harm to one another, then that society devolves into slavery and bondage. And so, you know, any law, regardless of whether that law is in alignment with natural law or not, it's either redundant or it's immoral. If the law is in alignment with natural law, then it's redundant because We don't need a law to tell people that they have the right to do something that they already had the right to do that already wouldn't cause harm. Whereas um, a law that is forcing people under the threat, under duress, essentially to commit harm to others, such as a vaccine mandate, for example, that law is immoral and therefore it's invalid. So either way, whether, whether a law is for the, for the greater good of humanity, as they like to commonly say, or if it's, you know, causing harm, it doesn't matter. It's either, it's either redundant or it's immoral. And so again, the one great work is just about, you know, using whatever gifts we have to expose the truth of natural law. And it's, it's super, super simple. We just have to do the right thing. We have to step into our moral compass. And if we collectively as a society would do the right thing and take actions that didn't cause harm, then we would not be in the mess that we're in right now. And we would not have these massive intergenerational organized crime syndicates running rampant around the world. It's just a simple fact. That's really beautiful. I remember one of the first things that started to wake me up to the way things were is one of my friends who's an anarchist. He said that there is, how do you phrase it? Something like there's no law that isn't backed up by a gun. And when you say there ought to be a law for such and such, what you're saying is I feel comfortable with people being shot if they do not do this thing. And it really, really puts things into perspective, especially when I think the government is very good at getting people to not think like that and to not see things the way they are, at least consciously. But I think a lot of people realize it in the back of their mind or subconsciously. And that's why politics is so divisive because they know if we, if we lose this election, then people are going to force us to do things that we don't want to do. But if we win, we can force other people to do mm-hmm. things they don't want to do. And they get caught into that cycle. And, and don't that's realize. why slavery is so the, the people, the majority of this country is voting to rob their neighbor. And so if you, if you think about the, you know, the democratic position is, hey, elect my guy, he's going to rob everybody and he's going to put these policies into perspective. And the Republican position is no, elect my guy and he's going to rob everybody and he's going to put these policies into, into perspective. And voluntarists are really the only ones going, hey, why don't we uh, not rob anybody? And uh, the world's a self-organizing place. It produces spontaneous order and everything the government does, we can you know, do with, you know, uh, the free market and private property and, and uh, mutual aid societies and nonprofits and real charity. And so uh, let's not rob anybody. And so that when, when society shifts and people quit robbing, voting to rob their neighbors, then we can have freedom. But as long as people are trying to vote, you know, vote for violence and are advocating violence, government is violence, government is is, uh, you know, extortion and violence and taxation and lies and indoctrination and, and BS, as long as they're advocating that, they're going to get robbed. If you're advocating that your neighbor be robbed, you are going to get robbed. Yeah. And going back to what you were saying, Jeff, about the idea of, you know, ultimately, if you really, really boil it down, then there's just a gun to your head if you don't comply, you know, and I think a lot of to play devil's advocate a little bit, I think a lot of statists, they would, 
they would be like, oh, well, it's not really like that, you know, like they'll just fine you or it's not as bad as if you don't comply, they'll just put a gun to your head. But ultimately what we're dealing with is duress. Duress is the being under the threat of violence. It's not necessarily violence itself, but the ultimate threat of violence, if you don't comply, that's known as duress. And that's another thing that Mark Passio defines really well. And that's essentially this, the state of society that we live under as long as we choose to believe in the myth of authority is we always are choosing to live under a state of duress because there's always that threat of violence. It's not always necessarily, oh, well, we're going to shoot you if you don't comply, but it's, well, we'll extort you. And then if you don't pay the extortion fees, then we'll cage you. And if you, if you don't uh, comply with being caged, then we'll kill you. So ultimately you know, it's a, it's a linear progression towards violence, Mm -hmm. but ultimately it doesn't matter what, what level of violence it goes to, because as soon as you try to defend yourself from an immoral action taken against you by authority, you're going to be shot. You know what I mean? I have, uh, my partner, David, and I have a a lyric (laughs) in our song, um, First Amendment gets you cracked in the jaw, man. Next Amendment probably gets you shot, man. So it's like if you actually exercise your if you actually exercise your Second Amendment, you're probably going to end up getting shot by by some armed thug known as a police officer. And so, yeah, I think it's important to kind of help people to understand the idea of duress, because a lot of people don't realize that they're constantly living under a state of duress. It's always, if you do not comply, what will happen? And if you really boil it down for people, ultimately that does come down to a gun being at your head if you don't comply. So. And I think, I think the only way to, well, cause you never, you never know what's going to work for someone to start to convince them of that. You know, some people, it could be reading a book or listening to a song. Some people seeing voluntary charity happen without the government would be enough to open their eyes. I know some people who whose eyes haven't been opened until something terrible happens to them. You know, their innocent pregnant wife gets shot by a policeman for no reason. Mm-hmm. And nothing happens to the <laughs> more than nothing happening to the policeman. He gets put on retirement, paid retirement, no justice, nothing. And then the eyes start to open. But of course, that kind of stuff doesn't get covered very often by the government's media. So it doesn't get covered at all because that's what they're doing. They're using this crooked media system to, you know, try and steer people into believing there's a pandemic when there's not really a pandemic or whatever the scam of the day is. And they're censoring or, uh, you know, uh, denigrating. Uh, the, you know, the, the authentic voices of the developing alternative media. And so they're hiding stuff that they don't want you to see while they're promoting BS, you know, 24, seven, 365 on every single screen. And if you don't understand that that's going on, then you are, you know, you're crippled intellectually. You're not even in the game. If you do not understand that somebody is controlling the information that you receive from on high. Uh, and then that makes me think of what you said uh, at the beginning about it being like a religion. Because if you think like a uh, Catholic church, they're not going to have a, a Protestant come in and and teach their congregation. Yep. They're going to want a Catholic person. And same thing, uh, vice versa. But Catholics are using the exact same techniques. So like it's, it's so uh there you know I, I look at catholicism as an unethically manipulative religion because they're putting you in the you know they're trying to get as many kids into the you know church school as they can where they raise them up to be tithers the same way the government is trying to get everybody into their little religious schools they can so they can raise them up to be taxpayers and so they're they're running the exact same scam and uh the capital looks like the vatican for a reason Nothing against Catholics, of course. I've I've got a lot of friends who are Catholics, but I bought, I bought a friend of mine a a, a model of the Vatican. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's the Capitol. Ah, I see. <laughs> uh, but of course, the government, unlike the church, is not is backed up by a gun. You know, no one's going to shoot you if you don't go to the Catholic if you don't go to mass every day, every 
Sunday. Right. So the, but the but the church has committed insane levels of violence against people in the past. It's just that's not necessarily happening today. But if you look at the if you look at the history of a lot of organized religions, they have most of them have some history of of horrendous violence. Yeah, so, Catholics <laughs> used to use the sword. They don't use the sword anymore, but you know, that's where the government got the idea. <laughs> I've I've wondered because for a long time it seemed I'm not super well read on history but for a long time it seemed like the government and the catholic church especially were really one in the same yes and there wasn't too much difference yeah we're robbing society we're, we're stealing your money mm-hmm. you're going to pay your taxes so the uh you know in the, in the vatican city that i mean they're still paying people pay taxes to vatican city mm. and i mean in the old days of course, with uh, the divine right of kings, that was why they had the priests to teach people that the king was ordained by God, and that was where his power came from. And so, you need to pay him for well, what he did. Day. So, in Catholic schools, they teach the legitimacy of the government, uh, and then in exchange, they're allowed to operate tax-free because they're in on it, and they're te- they're, they're you know, I mean, uh, Catholic schools are educating well over a million kids i think here in the united states and like they're they're running game on those kids for the government they're teaching them that government is legitimate desirable and necessary and then they're getting a a tax break from the government for their participation um it is a scam it is the biggest scam in history now one of our one of our initiatives that we have going is an education initiative to help homeschooling families is even a private school, a lot of the times the things they're learning aren't too much different from what they learn in public school. So they're because they're using accreditation, they're using textbook amalgamation, they're using tradition. And so, uh, you know, on the accreditation side, you don't get to be an accredited school unless you're teaching that the government is legitimate, desirable, and necessary. And that's why the subtitle of the book is How Intergenerational Organized Crime Runs the government, media, and academia is that these teachers, whether it's at an accredited school, whether it's at a, you know, a a government school, whether, uh, you know, um, they're, they're being hierarchically controlled from Washington, D.C. They're given a curriculum. They're forced to teach the curriculum. And the teachers are essentially binding the chains of mental slavery on these kids um, you know what the government school produces? It produces murderers. It produces people that are willing to go abroad and murder people uh, in wars based on lies and manufactured intelligence in armies of occupation in other countries. The government school system produces murderers. I was I was just reading this morning over breakfast the enough already time to end the war on terrorism uh, that. Whew blows you away how much goes on that people just don't know about don't even think to ask yep yeah Yeah. and i'll even take it one step further than you know um a lot of times people who are homeschooling are even following a curriculum which i find which i find hilarious i like to use the term unschooling as it's defined by john taylor gatto because When people refer to homeschooling, a lot of the times they're just referring to, oh, well, let's just state indoctrinate our children ourselves, which like, what's the point of that? You might, you might as well just send them to the government indoctrination camps if you're going to state indoctrinate them yourselves, you know, yeah. and teach them the, the victor side of history. Mm-hmm. So personally, I don't have children, but when I do have children, they're not going to be learning any kind of curriculum. I'm going to, you know, allow my children to guide their own learning and find paths of, of passion and find things that are interesting to them and then let that guide their learning. And if they want to learn about history, I'm not going to stop them from learning about history, but I'm going to make sure that they that they find information that's that's not just written by the victors, as is a common saying. And um, I just think that a lot of times people homeschool and they just use a government curriculum and they just do it because it's more convenient. They don't do it based on any type of principled basis or they don't do it based on any type of value basis. It's just, oh, well, it's just easier for me to have my children at home while I work from home or whatever. And so I'll just government school them from home. And, and 
I don't really, I don't really believe in that either. So I think that I like to make the delineation between unschooling and homeschooling, because I think that that's an important distinction. And I think that any voluntarist who consents to still sending their children to government schools isn't really a voluntarist, because like Howard said, ultimately that it, it creates order followers, it creates people who are statists, it creates people who ultimately, if you really want to break it down, they, they might become murderers because they support the state and the state supports murder. You know, if you pay taxes, you're essentially supporting murder because one of the largest federal budgets is war. So, you know, I think that it's important for people to think about the things that they are still involved in that still support uh, things that maybe they claim to not be supporting. There's a lot of people out there who, who don't necessarily believe in, in government, they might consider themselves voluntarists, but then they're still willing to send their children to a government school because it's convenient for them or because it's like free childcare. And I'm super, super against that. Like I have a really, really hard time with people who know that the whole thing is a scam and that they're still sending their children to government schools, or they know the whole thing's a scam, but then they're like, oh, I'm, I'm so frustrated that the you know, I'm so frustrated that the schools are enforcing a vaccine mandate. I'm like, that's great. Let the schools enforce a vaccine mandate because then you actually have a little bit more of an incentive to take your children out of them because they shouldn't be there in the first place if you if you believe the things that you're espousing, right? Some really good insights. And yeah, volun- the voluntary schooling, unschooling, that's what we always try to try to encourage people to do. We always, in the packages we send, we slip books from John Taylor Gatto, slip the Tuttle Twins books, try to show people a better way. And that's, I think, one of the one of the key things about what all three of our organizations and groups are doing, trying to get people to see beyond. Is it so, I mean, even just, even just trying to talk about it here, there's always been another layer that's it's like an endless, almost endless onion. You, you keep peeling and there's just more and more corruption and evil underneath. And it feels like no matter how much you talk about it, you can never get it all out. But when you put it in a song, when you put it in a book, you can see it visually. Or you demonstrate it in charity versus the government's public assistance. And I think people can see that difference a lot easier. Totally. And that's why I'm, I'm really big too up on going back to this idea of natural law and just teaching people about morality as a concept, because you're totally right that if you continue to peel back the layers of the onion, all you just find is more evil, more criminality, more evil, more criminality. And that's all just symptoms of people buying into a belief in authority. It's all symptoms of people not understanding that a right is an action that does not cause harm. And just because you're wearing a badge and a costume doesn't give you the right to do things that that other people don't have the right to do. You can't delegate a right to someone else that you don't have yourself and these kinds of things. And so that's why I think that Etienne and myself are focused ultimately on on educating people about what true morality is and educating people on these these fundamental principles, because once you once you really understand the fundamental principle of, oh, I don't have the right to rob my neighbor. Therefore, a group of people or someone who wrote some fancy thing down on a piece of parchment paper doesn't have the right to rob people. Once people get that and they really, really take that knowledge in, then there's no going back from that knowledge. And I think that this, you know, Tani has said on a couple of past podcasts, this direct, this movement is only going in one direction. People who are waking up are not going to go back to sleep because once you get it, it's like a light bulb goes off and then you can't become re-indoctrinated into something that you've de-indoctrinated yourself from. And nobody so, likes to get chumped. Yeah. <laughs> realize it's a scam, the biggest scam in history. Like nobody likes to get chumped. Nobody wants to be a chump. So once you realize that they're running game on you and how the game works, most mm-hmm. people are like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, one of the, the aha moments for me, Isabel Patterson in her book, the, the God of the Machine, she put it as a mathematical formula. One person has zero right to force another person to do something. And therefore a million people 
don't have the right to force someone because a million times zero is zero. They still have zero right to force you to do something. Can yeah. you email me that? I'd like to see that. Can you email that to me? Yeah, yeah, you can. That's a that's a really good book. It's it's hard to find it in print because uh, but Isabel Patterson, the God of the Machine. Yeah, I'm saying that to you. And uh, for your guys' stuff, I'll put links to your stuff in the description of this video when we get it up. So, Thank you so much. I'll oh, type absolutely. that in the chat right now. <laughs> All right, sounds great. So I know got to get going in a sec. Any final thoughts? Do the right thing. Don't commit acts of aggression against your other fellow sentient beings. Just do the right thing. Step into your moral compass and don't don't uh, support wrongdoing just because you know a, your friend is a cop or because you know your friend works for government or something like that. That doesn't make it right. And I think we have to step into what's right. Step into our moral compass and do the right thing. And really know that as truth within within inside ourselves. And if we all do that, we could change the world in a day, as Max Egan says. So I'll leave it with that. Uh, I'm just going to put my two websites. And so the the fourth edition of the book uh, is uh, shipping uh, now at government-scam.com. And uh, the fifth edition of the book, we're uh, funding through an Indiegogo where you can uh, get a discount if you participate in the Indiegogo. And that is artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo. So it's either government-scam.com for the fourth edition, which you can get immediately, or you can help us out uh, with the fifth edition at artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo. All right. And if you go to artofliberty.org slash scam, you can check out the music video, right? It got the video and all of the lyrics yep. and the, the lyrics are just as beautiful. It's poetry set to music. Yeah. And Jeff will put a link to presencemusic.com where you can check out all of our music down in the, in the comments below. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm going to wait for the fifth edition myself, but see what people do. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. That was a lot of fun, really interesting discussion. Thanks very much. Been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.